When you open those previous locations, you had these self-imposed limits you put on yourself. And that's what you've kind of been detailing over these two episodes. Once you remove those limits, I mean, I've seen your location. I know how happy you are with it. I know how excited you are to be in it. I know how the community loves it. I know how your staff loves it. There's just such an energy there. And if you had just said no, or refused to believe it was possible, you wouldn't have what you have right now. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Seven Figure Music School podcast. I'm Daniel. This is Nate of Brooklyn Music Mm. Factory in New York City. And in this episode, we are actually continuing what we began talking about last week. Last week, Nate reflected on the lessons learned as he opened a new location in one of the most expensive real estate markets in the United States. Mm. And we got through the first five and we decided, hey, let's break this into a second episode. And in this episode, we're going to talk more along the human element. In last episode, Nate talked about a lot of things that he learned and reflected on and did better in opening his third location in a decade and a half. And in this episode, we're going to talk about staff, uh, how they might contribute to opening of a new location, the relationships with landlord, really important stuff that can affect the long-term success of your school. Now, there's that and a lot more. I think we should just jump into it, Nate almost as if we're just continuing the list from before. The previous one we had talked about was forecasting Mm -hmm. uh, and forecasting the financial element. The sixth thing in the list was uh, has to also to do with money and the financial side of things. Maybe jump into that for me. Yeah, well, you said we're going to talk about people, and you know that's my favorite subject. And one of the most important people involved in opening our new space was uh, Leah, our bookkeeper, part-time CFO, money brain thought partner of mine. I'm a huge fan of hers. um, And I'm grateful for her being along for this part of the journey. Now, she wasn't here for the whole time, but she was here certainly since 2021. Um, And so one of the things I did differently this time, Daniel, is I just took the money piece. In other words, what was the investment going to be to open this location? I took it with a way more um, seriousness and intention. And I just decided, because I have, you know, one of my money stories and one of my challenges is that, like, I will sometimes just um, avoid the truth if it's if it's not exactly what I want to hear financially, right? Right. And I think you and I have talked about this. I can't remember what app we talked on, or maybe we just talked about it privately, but but this notion is like the hustle is so like has always been a defining characteristic for me. So if something's gonna cost more, whatever, I don't want to know about it, I'll just figure out a way to hustle and make some more money. You know, so of course that's not a great way to forecast things like what's it going to cost to um, build out a space. And so what happened this time around is I just took the idea of getting really clear on the cost to achieve most of my wish list in this new Mm -hmm. space, asking the experts, putting the numbers down on paper on a spreadsheet for myself, and then saying to Leah, basically my thought partner here, I was like, okay, so how much cash do we have now? What what do we need to do to conserve cash? And that meant we actually had to reduce the size of our team to try to conserve money for the future so that we would have that in savings to be able to um, 
to uh, pay for part of the opening and the capital build out. In addition, it made me have to look really clearly at debt in a way that, you know, I hadn't actually looked that intentionally in the past before. I'd used debt um, as more like bridges, right? They would bridge me through a period of when maybe I needed to to uh, invest in some marketing over three to six months. We've talked about that before, or maybe I had to bridge a gap in in August when we were making payroll, knowing that the fall enrollment was going to, everything was going to level out. So it was like a cash bridge. This time around, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to just get really honest as to how much this thing could cost. And I'm going to organize my capital, both access to capital, i.e. have this money in the bank so that I can use it when I need it. uh, And then also access to cash, money in a savings account that we've already made that is going to be there for me when I need it. And um, that gets back to our patience comment on the previous episode, Daniel, because I had to be willing to let that cash sit there and not use it, Mm. right? Be patient and wait for the right project, which was this new home. Mm. And so I didn't love the fact that it was the price was going from what I initially thought was around 250,000 to twice that. Of course, I didn't love that. But instead of just being like, there's got to be a way to do it cheaply. I said, okay, if that's what the economy requires to get this thing done, then now let me focus on organizing capital and cash so that I have access to the money when I need it. Yeah. So, you know, one of the deeper concepts I think that was explored in the previous episode was this idea of the expansiveness, the openness, the creativity that you've deployed in the in this recent location that you opened. Versus more fear-based thinking, yeah, more, more, not negative thinking, but um, well, I think it's kind of that hustle attitude. It's that, it's that attitude of, oh well, let's see what we can make happen. Versus what do what do I want to make happen? I like your creative creativity comment because that's something that personally I pride myself on having, like, worked on that muscle. But the difference is, Daniel, I didn't apply, I would think of these sort of like, previously, I would think of like an inanimate object, like a commercial space as not something to apply my creativity to, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so this time around, I was like, come on, dude, like, use this part of you and see the opportunity here to, um, to get creative with how you find money how you find money with a better interest rate so that it doesn't take as long to pay off, et cetera. Like, you know, anyways, I, I, I appreciate that, um, that perspective on it. You know, Nate, so I'm reminded of a book I read ooh, probably about 10 years ago by Todd Henry. And it has mm. the, it has the really positive and cheerful title. Uh, the title of this book was die empty. Uh, Jeez, I know. Come on. He opens the book with this, with this illustration or story of a of a of a of a talk he gave or a talk he heard where someone he I think it was a talk he heard where someone he really respected gave this talk and they opened with this idea of you know what the most expensive real estate in the world is. It's mm. not, and and actually he said it's not, and he named a bunch of things, including New York, New York City, mm. and he said that actually isn't. It's a graveyard because this is where all the unrealized dreams of everyone go to die. 
And all uh. of this potential, all of this, all of these things that could have been are now buried there. <laughs> Brilliant ideas, like all these sorts of things. It's really emotional. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I look back, and I said this in, a, in an episode we released in February of this year, the one, it was a little bit of a shorter, more personal episode where we were talking about how we personally plan for the year. Right. And, and I said, you know, one of the, not, re, you know, not one of the, not a regret necessarily, but one of the things that I look back and say, man, I could have done that differently is. by actually believing things were possible that I now know Ooh. are possible. And the thing that stopped me from realizing it was a simple two-letter word, no. Oh, mm. you can't do what you don't believe is possible. If you right. don't believe it's possible, you won't do it. You can't do it. It's outside the realm of your possibility. Now, you know, the laws of physics say that I can't jump off the top of my house and fly. But... I and so in in the realm of the physical world and, and physical nature, yeah, mm. there are some rules we play with. But what I've learned as I've gotten older, and what I think has made my business so fun to run and 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 grow, and and as I've observed yours, the same thing is that mm. I just refuse to accept limits. I know that's like a line from a song in the play Wicked, but actually, like, <laughs> um, I've I've just as I've gotten older and, and as I've done more, just refusing to accept limits um, has been so helpful to me. A coach that I worked with pitched me a year-long coaching plan that was going to be $37,000. And I think 10 years ago, I would have said, that's not possible. Mm. And he said that number. And even in that moment, I thought, whoa, you know. But as opposed to saying, like, that can't be done, I can't do that, I actually entertained it. That was mm. vastly different, and I ended up doing it. And it was actually life-changing, and I'm so glad that I did. Similarly for you, when you open mm. those previous locations, you had these self-imposed limits you put on yourself. And that's what you've totally. kind of been detailing over these two episodes, and you will continue as, you go, as we go on here. But once you remove those limits, I mean, I've seen your location. I know how happy you are with it. I know how excited you are to be in it. I know how the community loves it. I know how your staff loves it. There's just such an energy there. And if you had just said no or refused to believe it was possible, you wouldn't have what you have right now. We're not doing the world any benefit by going small. Yeah. You know, like basically, you know, you're... Like you and I, Daniel, are are like we're we have very different. Um, we we be, we benefit the world in this podcast, but we're we have different skill sets. Like one of the reasons this podcast even works is because you're you're just great at getting the thing produced and out the door consistently for our listeners, right? And so it doesn't benefit um, anybody for you or me not to lean into the thing that we think we're really, really uh, our sort of native genius and what we're skilled at. And to just, it's much better for me to go big with my dreams because I have the opportunity in this space to benefit a lot more families, mm. you know? And I, and I just, I have to reread that often though. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Like I think um, we're getting to our next thing on our list here of things I did differently with this space. And and the th the theme of this episode is how we're how we're um, really working with the people around us in a different way. Yeah, 
Yeah. Let's jump to that right before I do, though. I have to say, like, something you said there just reminded me of something. I think it's worth mentioning. Um, uh, it's a quote from a, a poem by Marianne Williamson called Our Deepest Fear. Mm, yes. You know what I'm talking about? I She's, think I do. Read yeah. It. Well, actually, Nelson Mandela quoted this poem in his inaugural speech in 1994 um, after all that time in prison. And, and, you know, we all know that story. But you're playing the quote is you're playing small does not serve the world. Um, yes. and as we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I just think it's there's always an emotional component underneath. And actually, Nate, the reason we even work together now is because of something I said on a podcast you heard me on three years ago. I was visiting someone else's podcast and I right. said, and I still believe it, that we don't really have business problems. We have us problems that show up on our business. I, oh, yeah. I believe it. I still believe it. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here. But before we we uh, all start weeping, maybe we should just move on to number seven. Well, number seven will make me weep because it's all around... <laughs> It's all around collaborative effort in designing the new Brooklyn Music Factory. Yeah, so this is point seven. I just want to keep us all on track here. That's where we're on the list. And, and yeah, Nate, go for it. Yeah, so um, one of the things I did differently this time is instead of thinking that I was the um, visionary who was going to um, design every detail of Brooklyn Music Factory, rather, I turned to members of BMF that had lots of great opinions about what a space should look and feel like and how it should operate. So for example, Ben um, met with Joel, our architect. Um, Davis met with Joel, our architect. Davis has been with BMF for five years, been in the drum department, designed drum curriculum, basically saying, hey, a perfect classroom would be like this. It would have these little details for myself. Um, and they made wish lists that Joel then took notes on and shared with me. And he's like, Nate, I wonder if we could design some of these things into it. Um, another example is Pira, who directs our camp, who's you know been on at least one app with us. Anyways, um, I showed her the initial layout. And she's like, you know, is there any way we can get one other group classroom out of this? She's like, is there any way we can flex space? And I said, she's like, because otherwise I'll be limited in how many bands I can have during our summer camp or during a day camp. Um, because, and I said, so you tell me what's the ideal square footage. I didn't even say square footage because they don't think in those terms. But I said, in our previous location, what was the ideal classroom for a camp band? And she's like, actually, Studio 9 was perfect. So I went over to our last home, looked at Studio 9, looked at the square footage, drew a little picture for her. And I was like, what if I could give you this? I could give you 80% of Studio 9. Would that work for you? She's like, yeah, that could work. I could I could definitely fit a band in there. So it was like, so then I went back to Joel and I was like, hey, Joel, we need to move. We need to shave like three feet off of this width and add a, a foot here. Can, we, can you help me find one more group classroom at this square footage? And that was a perfect example of where Pira really helped define the layout of this space based on a really important product that we, that's like a, you know, 30% of our revenue every year. And I hadn't seen, I wouldn't have made that adjustment without her input. And of course, when she first gave the input, I was like, I wanted her to say the space looks amazing. And instead she said, can you get me one more classroom? And I was like, ah, but actually, once I just like had some patience and like took a couple of deep breaths, I was like, "Oh, this is really wise. Let me let me figure this out." And then one, more, let me give you one more example 
Beautiful. Um, so Jessica has really been uh, the person who's designed all of the community spaces. So the hallways, the community room, really the desk that's in the community room. Um, she picked out all the lighting. She picked, she designed all the color schemes. She worked with Joel on that. And, and she has a lot of opinion. She designed the utility closet where all the cleaning supplies go. She designed, she said, hey, Nate, here's a gear closet and I want it to be well designed. She didn't decide exactly what the design would be, but she said, I've got a suggestion. And then I said, okay, here's what I think the teachers need for gear in there. But I like your suggestion. I just have one change. So anything that was like public space, not within the classroom, because that's not her area of expertise, but the flow of the space is. She designed the decals on the window out front. Some of the things that would traditionally have been marketing for me where I would have been like, ah, I got a lot. Of course, I have opinions. Like I want there to be an enroll now QR code on the window, that kind of thing. Of course, I have opinions around that. Um, but she really took ownership of that. And what's fascinating, Daniel, is now that we're open, like almost every single day, some parent says, man, I love the lighting here. Man, the whole color scheme is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, yep, so do I, actually. I'm kind of in awe of the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't have done it alone. Definitely couldn't have done it alone. So those are some examples for our listeners. When you're thinking about your current space, maybe you're not opening a new space, but you're looking to maximize and, or improve your current space, think about one or two thought partners that you can have that you can actually have that conversation with where you won't just take some notes and be like, ah, thank you, no. But instead, so a thought partner where you will literally delegate some of the design and creativity um, because you will be, uh, like me, I think you'll really be pleasantly surprised about what's possible. Um, mm. So that's, that's, that's next on our list. It's just that sort of collaborative design. I did it way differently this time than I did it before. Yes. Running a music school can be a challenge. You can only see so many students per week and it feels like you're trading time for dollars. Margins are small and you're always looking for qualified teaching staff. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way to see more students in less time while maintaining high educational standards for your school? Well, now you can with Piano Express from grouplessons.com. Piano Express is a new way to teach group piano, one that seamlessly combines a new innovative group method technology and industry leading teacher training to make it easier and more profitable than ever to start group lessons in your studio. Piano Express allows you to see 12 students per hour per teacher and over a decade of testing has shown that the gamified curriculum significantly increases student practice times and studio retention. To help you get started, the Piano Express method has a training course for you and your team. It's included when you use the system in your studio. Most schools can get their first class up and running in just a few weeks. So visit grouplessons.com to sign up for a free demo or use our calculator to see how much money your school can save each month by using Piano Express. It's really about divesting yourself of all the pressure of making this work, you know? And so let's talk about the next one, which is before you did it all yourself. And this time you did things differently as it came to that design piece and actually the building of things. Tell me a little bit about that, Nate. Yeah. So um, I like that with that last comment you just said, divesting yourself of the pressure. 
It's like a release. You have to actually release the pressure because if we're working under, if we're feeling a sense of pressure the whole time, Daniel, we're basically just swapping fear out for pressure. <laughs> we're still living in fear rather than that expansive mindset. And so um, I mentioned Joel, the architect that was one of the first people that I started collaborating with early on in this process in the last episode. Well, one of the things I had to deal with was this sense like, um, this sense of like needing to be the smartest one in the room. There's like this really great Liz Wiseman book called Multipliers that we've talked about before. And she has this, 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 um, way that she qualifies that person, which is, or she uh, labels that person rather, which is the diminisher. The diminisher is in a room and needs to leave the room feeling like they were, they're the smartest. And I kind of feel like in my previous spaces, because I would do like, um, maybe because I was a co-founder, maybe because I was a, you know, a curriculum designer or a teacher trainer, I sort of felt like I was also supposed to be really smart in every other area. And I, for this space, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to let Joel tell me all the things. I'm just going to ask every dumb question I have. And when he says, Nate, we need to get three bids from general contractors, and then we need to talk through those bids, and we need to work through it, I was like, okay, let's do it. And then he's, and he's already saying, you're not going to GC this yourself, Nate. You're not going to go, we're not going to work together and hire the cheapest guys and just see if you can be sort of the general contractor and find a bunch of subs, like an electrician and a plumber to fix this, which is the way we'd always done it before. Like I get someone to build some walls and I get someone else to do the electric, you know? And so that was a huge difference this time. It was just like realizing that, A, I don't need to know the answers. B, my number one job is to just assess the possible teammates and then just hire them and trust them. Um, and I will say this one little detail that it took me a hot second to learn in this process was that, and we've talked about this before, Daniel, but nobody's more interested in your business than you. So your basic job is to show up every single day to that team, those contractors, all of the team that works, you know, Pedro, Louise, everybody who works for Jimmy, show up every single day to them and be like, can you believe how amazing it is what you're building? Notice I didn't say what I'm building because I'm not building it. They're building it. And I was like, it's incredible what you guys are building. Let me show you pictures of kids in a classroom. I would literally just pull my phone out all the time and be like, Jimmy, look at what you're creating. Dude, you're, you're building classrooms where all of these six-year-olds are going to be writing songs. And I'd show them a picture of like a Jam Band 101 class. And like, Jimmy, you're doing this. And I remember when we finally opened and we're really close. I mean, we're still actually in the, we're going through our final punch list you know, of finishing the space, but it's, we've been having classes there for a while and it's awesome. Um, I remember saying to Jimmy, I was like, Jimmy, I'm so grateful for your entire team and everybody that's done the work here. How can I possibly thank them? And he's like, we'll come up with a way, Nate. He's Irish. We'll come up with a way, Nate. And I was like, no, no, I don't want it to be like, thank you guys. And I don't want to just like, I don't know, tip them. I want to like buy them lunch and put on a concert, do it the way we would thank them. 
right? So there's a version of this, Daniel, where it's like, what I did differently was no, was hire, um, know, and respect everyone on the team that was building this thing. Right? There's a very clear difference when you say you're supposed to do something for me and reframing that as we're building something together. Thank you for what you do. That's yeah. like it's it's a very it's a, not a fine line there. It is a thick line. <laughs> do you mm. want I found that it's I've, I had a lot more patience and a lot more joy in the process when I when I decided to look at everybody as a member of a team that was building something amazing. And just honestly, like thanking them all the time, hmm. you know. I think along those lines, the last two points we have to make here, number nine and ten, there are two other relationships you had in mm. opening this new location. Um, the next one, uh, everybody's favorite person, the landlord. So I'd love for <laughs> you to detail the current person you're working with and how you worked with them. Mm. And then... What you did before, again, with the DeGraw opening and, you know, yeah. the past versions or the past locations of Brooklyn Music Factory. What was the difference there? Um, what what can we learn from your experience? Yeah, so um, our current landlords, collectional landlords, there's one point of contact for me primarily. His name's Tom. Um, he's, he's, he's from Poland. He moved here in like the early 90s. Um, emigrated here. He's been here. He's raised his family here. It's this fascinating story. Um, there's a neighborhood in Greenpoint here that's all Polish. Literally, like, you can walk into stores and there's just, if you don't speak Polish, like, it's going to be tough to get that pastry. Anyways, that's where he lives. And, um, and that sort of highlights the difference this time. This time I said, you know what? I, on my wish list was I'd like to develop a relationship with a landlord where we're actually... It's a relationship I want to maintain and 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 nourish. You know, I don't want it to be purely transactional. Um, it's just, and it's probably somewhat just my personality. But um, someone described it to me. A real estate agent described. It, he's like, Nate. There's basically a couple of kinds of real estate. I mean, uh, landlords. There's what we call the suits, and there's what we call the old school. The old school are those people that are always going to be interested in what's happening in your space and the spaces they're developing. The suits, that's going to be a revolving door of people that you may or may not ever know because they change too quickly and it's they're just coming from corporate, right? And I was like, I, I know that I don't want a suit. I want to go old, old school with it. So one of the things I did differently this time was that I met with potential landlords. I created this pitch deck called Brooklyn Music Factory's New Home. It outlined where we were in March of 2020. It outlined, you know, it shared, it had all our financials. It said where we wanted to be in 10 years. Things like, you know, there's a paragraph in here that says we hope to inspire, um, you know, over 100,000 new original songs worldwide by 2030, you know, and we put together this beautiful little book. I'd spiral bound it and I'd go meet with landlords and I'd hand them the book and I'd be like, here's who you'd be working with. Notice wow. is, yeah, very different than here's the, you know, here's who's, this is the person you're going to give a lease to. Yeah. And, um, and so we would sit down and have meetings and this was like literally a year before we ever signed a lease. I would, I just started introducing myself to people and Tom 
and his crew, David, um, they have a piano in their office, dude. They have a, like a um, like a Baldwin grand piano in their office because one of his partners is a jazz pianist. Um, and so we just sat and developed a relationship long before we ever got into the nuts and bolts of the numbers. And I remember when we actually negotiated the final terms of the lease, we were just sitting outside and it was like a handshake deal. And then I showed up and he's like, okay, here's everything on the lease. Let's walk, walk through it. And of course, like I had questions, et cetera, but, but that was very different than my previous places. The previous places I would put simply, I treated the same way as our contractor, my previous version of um, thinking about contractors, which was interesting. You, yeah. You do something for me. I pay you and I'm a customer. That's the way I always viewed it before with landlords. Like your obligation is to provide this space with all, you know, with everything working and blah, 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 blah. And so it's a transaction. And this time around, I was like, it's just not like that, actually. So once again, Nate, here's another, here's another example. And I'm going to go all the way back to number, the first couple items on this mm. list in the previous episode where you had the faith to believe that you could make a wish list for what you wanted to be in the location and mm -hmm. you actively sought out something that could give you that. In the same way, you decided, you know what? I actually want to have a human relationship with this person and not just treat them as a commodity and not present myself as a commodity, commodity to be treated that way by yes. him. So that's one. But two... Then part of your wish list then was I actually want a landlord that wants to have a relationship that way. Because yes. in, in in shopping all these buildings, you you um you know you uh probably ran into a variety of personality types and a variety of people who had different styles, and you weren't going to settle, you weren't going to stop until you found the location you wanted the experience you wanted, the relationship you wanted, the the opportunities for the space that you wanted. And, um, you know, I think it just reminds me of a Naval Ravikant quote, not one that I've said as much on this show. There's one I mm. always say. Mm. Um, but he says, all self-help boils down to long-term thinking over short-term thinking. And really, again, if we could characterize these nine and almost now 10 different ways of doing things, um, it's that you were thinking more long-term and you had, you know, greater possibility thinking. So I really just, I love hearing that. Do you have more that you want to add to this? You want to jump to number 10? Well, I was just going to, cause you're highlighting the wish. I was going to read literally what I wrote off the wish list. It said oh, two wow. things. Number one, a landlord that we like and trust and can count on when needed. That was the language I put on my wish list. So anyways, People might have different versions of that. But the second one was ability to play music day and night with no complaints and supported by the building owner, the landlord. And they ended up investing $20,000 into the soundproofing in the ceiling. That's the way they showed their support. So I was like, you know, the ceiling cost a hell of more than 20K. But the fact is they made that gesture. They said, yeah, we're going to invest in that soundproofing. And mm. they... You know, so anyways, the point is, is that it was, it wasn't a, it wasn't an abstract wish list. It was pretty damn concrete. I was like, I want our landlord to want us there to specifically want a music school there, a place that plays a lot of music and makes a lot of sound. 
<laughs> so anyways, that was important for me. And so that's that on the landlord piece. And it's, of course, like any relationships, it's got its ups and downs. And there's some days where it's great and other days where we're developing more empathy for one another. But that's every relationship, you know. I hear that. Well, let's jump to number 10 because I'm already five minutes late for a meeting, but I want to do this right. So uh, number 10, the final final relationship that we wanted to talk about in, and again, just wrapping up here, what Nate did when he opened previous locations, what Nate did when he opened the new location and what you can learn from that, no matter what your current status is in terms of location. Um, I really found this one fascinating, Nate. And again, Mm. I think it's along that theme of not having to do it all yourself. So what's number 10? Number 10 is that we anticipated the need for a community manager, a facility manager, before we ever even opened the place. And we hired that full-time position before that teen opened mic. And I think it's worth pointing out that your previous location, you didn't even have that role. You never hired that role at the the Mm -hmm. beginning, if I remember correctly. Is that correct? Yeah, well, we had an awesome, you know, we had a great team member there, Kai, who was... Got sort it. of our director of operations. But basically, we treated the facility as an afterthought. And then eventually, we tried hiring a facility manager. It wasn't a great fit for that person. And then we were like, ah, whatever. We're just going to roll this into director of ops and figure it out. But when we first opened our previous location, and definitely when we opened our first location, there was no thought around, hey, let's intentionally put a team member in here who's going to be really thinking about how this place is going to um, operate day in and day out. Um, and by the way, when we think about um, space, one of the improvements in our thinking was thinking about the physical space and the digital space. So this this person is thinking about, is are all the computers and all the uh, organization of all the materials there operating effectively in all nine classrooms plus the community room, mm. as well as is the space... Are the teachers getting everything they need to succeed within their classrooms? Um, and are we succeeding within the community room? Um, and so is uh, are all the materials and instruments and everything needed where it's needed? So that was something we did differently. And honestly, before Daniel, it was always like, maybe Nate, maybe Nate plus Jessica can figure this out. And this time around, I was like, we already know what it looks like if Nate's in charge of all the details. It's going to get a little chaotic, right? So... Bring somebody else in. It sounds like what you possibly did, you know, maybe give me the nuances here if not, but it sounds like you look back at the previous version of things and you saw that there was probably an appropriate level of, hey, let's make it happen. And things got divided up haphazardly and a bunch of different people handled a number of different roles and jobs and tasks and projects and responsibilities. But here you anticipated in advance what those things were going to be. And you just said, Hey, let's just have someone who they're solely responsible for this so that everyone else can stay in their lane and do what they do best. Yeah, I think that's mostly accurate. And when we left the old place, you know, Kai, who had been our director of operations, who really had been the one who was thinking about the facility most often on a day to day, he had made great efforts mm. to like document our systems that we had done well in the previous space. Um, and so when we talk about how we're doing this one differently than previously, well, previously we just fell into documenting how to run the facility. This time around we're saying, actually we know how to run a really good facility. Yeah. And we're just going to use all the great work that Kai brought did 
and just refine it to reflect our current facility. That's it. And yeah, for the new space. So I think that was the final piece on our list, really, Daniel, was just being like crystal clear that there is a very real role around running a facility effectively, and you should honor that and invest in that. Mm. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.